This week on Kettle of Fish, actor David Lander stops by to talk about Welcome to our after show, we call Kettle of Fish, the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. <laughs> Alrighty, kids, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the fun no politics laughter show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, and models about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you live, as always, from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my sock-hopping, hopscotching, bee-bopping producer, the Laverne to my Shirley, the um, Joni to my Chotzi, the Mork to my Mindy, Dee the producer, or Prizer, or Maven. God, Whatever. you go by so many names, w- Dee. Wouldn't, wouldn't I be the Mindy to your Mork? I mean, I know it rhymes, but, you know. I'm saying. all about um, gender <laughs> equality here, so please don't put me in a box. Maybe I want to be Mindy. There you Have go. you ever thought I want to be Mindy? As long as you don't stretch out my clothes, I'm fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, today's a good day. We had a nifty hour or so with filmmaker Leah Shore, and we've got some more nifty cool things coming up uh, next month. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. And today's yeah. guest has such an impact on people. He is so beloved. We've never had this happen before. Our guest from last hour is like, would it be okay if I stick around and just say hi? I just want to, I, I just want to bathe in one <laughs> moment of our next guest's awesomeness. I know, Could I stick so around and say hi? That's the kind of effect that David L. Lander has on people. But before we yes. get him in here, let me get our co-host in here. A girl who wouldn't last one day working for Shots Brewery without partaking in the merchandise. <laughs> Another short <laughs> intro for you today, Fern. But Where again, voice, voice. You, you know, you nailed it. I mean, as soon as you started saying it, I was like, yeah, I know that where this is going. And absolutely right. I wouldn't be putting a glove on a bottle. I would be, I would, I, I would work for beer. I think, yeah. That makes sense. I'm pretty sure that uh, as many times as I have mentioned Mick Ultra on this show, I'm waiting for them to send me product. But um, most of our shows are brought to you, at least on my side, by Mick Ultra. So I'll say that one more time, guys. If you're listening out there, I love my Mick Ultra. All right, so let me ask you guys this before we get the guests in today, because we have been so lucky to talk to such icons as Margot Kidder, Jamie Farr. Of course, we're friends with William Sanderson, and we get to chat with him all the time. We've talked to so many legends, but then the other half of me goes, you know what? People are just people, so maybe I shouldn't be like, oh, this guest is an icon and this guest is a local comedian. Maybe we're just all people spinning around this big blue marvel, and I shouldn't even quantify, like, super excitement one no. person over another. No. Am I, I an asshole here? No. I think that you're completely correct in recognizing when somebody has worked really hard and they've gotten to a place like Jamie Farr. I mean, everybody knows who he is. Like, everybody knows who he is. My mom knows who he is, which is unusual. Of course, my mom knows who today's guest is, too. But and still, your mom doesn't know what TED Talks are. I made a joke exactly. the other day on Facebook, and I was like, my TED Talk would be the first one to end in a stabbing. And, and your mom was like, what's a TED Talk? Right. So <laughs> I just – I think it's good to really recognize when people have 
shared so much of themselves for so long and entertained us and just i mean because like when we talked to jamie farr i said it's it was like talking to a person and he let us in to that time of his life so that's why i thought it was so amazing and i just when somebody has entertained you for so long and just given themselves freely to their audience, I just, I think that should definitely be recognized. So I think you're cool. Yeah, fine. And it makes me mad when I see people kind of belittle Hollywood or like label them Hollywood elites. And I said, um, last week on the show, I was like, Hey, look, I would never want, when we were talking to James Morrison about his movie, I was like, I would never want to be an actor. It's too hard. Like they work their asses off five in the morning out in the cold. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think people understand the amount of sweat and passion that goes into the craft of acting. Well, absolutely. And you have to be passionate about what you're doing to be able to do that because it does take a lot out of you. And it does, it does irritate me when people say the Hollywood elite and they're just a, like, like you had said, you know, with James, like there are cocktail parties or whatever. That's not what's happening. Like everybody we have talked to has been so awesome and so down to earth and so passionate and so kind and so giving. And to Dee's point, you know, people contribute over a long period of time. But the difference between an icon and a local comedian, I know you kind of are struggling with that, but it's all about impact, right? There are certain people throughout your life and even at a young age that impacted you. And a lot of people from Hollywood don't understand how they're impacting people in their personal lives. Um, they, they think, yes, I hope I can touch people. I hope I can reach people. But actually getting them on air and saying, this is how you impacted me. Like, this made a difference in my life. I remember this. You brought this to my life or that to my life. Like when we talked to Margot Kidder, that was a prime example. You know, I let her know exactly what impact the role of Lois Lane played on me as a child. So... I don't, I don't look at one as above another, but there is a personal impact factor that does make you all a little good more. Points. You're right. Humble. I'm awesome. I'm not at all an asshole. <laughs> D, when you, um, I want you to get the guest in here. Would it be weird if you introduced the guest and it was like my friend Pat who works at IHOP and is drunk all the time that, after that filled up and here yes. we are, Pat. <laughs> No, that would be weird. Um, but real quick before we do get today's guest in here, we are going to be off uh, for yes. about 10 days. But no worries. We are coming back on March 11th with um, comedian Ember Knight. And that's going to be super funny. And then I definitely want everybody to keep an eye out for our next music show. We're having a four-way music episode with uh, Abby the Spoon Lady, Cowbunga Pizza Time, Oakley Doakley, and Max Sabbath, four very unique music acts for a very unique episode. Um, but today, we are having someone who, every time I said, who told other people who we were having on today, they said, does he really talk like that? And I said, yes, that's really him. Which I thought was awesome. Um, today we are having the everybody knows who he is. Um, everybody knows him as Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley, but he he is actually David Lander. Hi, David. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Feeling great, David. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to call in today. Well, once you told me I didn't have to fly to see you, then I just said, okay, it's a deal. Well, hey, does it get more accommodating than that? Let me tell you, I want to kind of give you full disclosure here. I knew you, of course, from Laverne and Shirley. Everyone does. And I knew you from a couple other projects you had worked on over the years. But until I booked the show and dug in, 
I wasn't even aware that you struggle with MS. Is it surprising to you that people at this point, as long as you've been public about it, that there are still people out there who don't, who doesn't know that you struggle with this disease? Well, you know, I mean, it, it just depends how interested you are in me. Um, I mean, a lot of people probably think I have, uh, you know, muscular dystrophy. So, <laughs> just yeah, what disease you get saddled with? But you know, it's no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but. It doesn't really matter to me whether people know or not. It's it's just, I got it. Well, I mean, my first thought was, how did I not know this? Because it's not like you're out of the public eye. You are still working very vigorously out there, doing a lot of voiceover work, involved in a lot of projects, yet this wasn't on my radar. And I was a little bit like ashamed when I was like, oh, damn, I didn't even know this. How how did I not know this? <laughs> well, I don't know. You'll have to speak to my press agent. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Fern, were you aware that um, David had MS when we first booked the show, or did you not know that until I started sending you the information? Uh, actually, no, I had no idea. Um, and it was interesting to, to to read about it and to to read about the history and some of the things that you did. And it was uh, it was very enlightening. And it does it does kind of send a message of how polarized the industry can be. But um, it's definitely, uh, I admire you, and uh, I think <laughs> I'm just amazed, absolutely amazed. I mean, grace under pressure and making it work, and you are a great spokesperson, and I admire you for that. Well, thanks. You know, when I was first diagnosed, the idea was, I mean, I was still walking and looked okay, and I still was just finishing up with Ronan Shirley. And I said to my wife, no matter what, don't tell people why I was here. Because uh, they don't know about MS. And what they don't know can only hurt you. You know, they think it's worse than it is. They think it's it's far more dramatic. They think it's fatal. <clears throat> All those things. So I just said, no, no matter what, we don't tell anyone. And that was it. And for 15 years, I worked with MS. And then I, I admitted I had it 15 years later. And that's the most amazing part. I read Fall Down Laughing, and I got to give you credit, David. I knocked this book out in three days in my spare time, so maybe in six hours total. And I'm a notoriously slow reader. But your book was so personable and compelling that I just flew through the book. I mean, you really brought the reader into your day-to-day world. And I don't know what is more mind-boggling to me, the fact that you were struggling with MS and you still had to go and perform and kind of navigate that or the fact that you hit it for 15 years i can't even imagine the kind of weight on your shoulder that you and your family had to endure hiding this from everybody even your longtime partner michael mckean right i didn't tell michael until about nine years into it wow and he said why don't you tell me why didn't you tell me i said because i was afraid people would say and how's your partner dave doing and he said oh poor dave he has ms and that's a nice gesture, but I'd be screwed. So I just said, why put the pressure on you? Just don't tell you. you know, so kind of walk us through this process of hiding this for 15 years and the reaction once you start letting people in on it. Are they mad that you kind of hid it from them for 15 years? Are they understanding? What was the outcome of that? Well, I had two outcomes. Some people were, it was almost like, why didn't you invite me to your wedding? You know? Uh, oh, wow. Personally, 
uh, like it was an event uh, to be <laughs> for them to be uh, noticed about. But it, it um, that was just the way. It was. I mean, it's been so long. I mean, I, now since I first announced it, that uh, I kind of have trouble remembering exactly who was in my side and who wasn't, but it, was, it wasn't bad. And I know the story from the book of how you came public. For the listeners who haven't read the book, kind of tell everybody how you came public after 15 years. And also, you've done you've been a goodwill ambassador as well. Tell me how that happened and kind of the buildup in that. Well, it, it was easy to become a goodwill ambassador because once I announced that I had it, that was it. I basically had said goodbye to my acting career. And so what else will I do? So I will tour on behalf of MS and tell people what I went through, how I went through. I used to stand up and say, I've had MS for 12 years and this is what it looks like on me. And that was basically it, just where you give people something to identify with, whether they like you or not. But it just gives them, okay, so this is the way it looks in 15 years. All right, now I know what I'm looking forward to if I'm looking forward to it at all. But it sounds like you had a pretty positive and supportive outcome when you came out about it publicly. Do you wish you would have came out earlier, or do you feel like there was such a stigma if you did come out in the mid-'80s, it would have been a career-ender? Well, I really, you know, I just had a child. I mean, my whole life was starting again. Just remarried, had a baby, and then I'm hit with the MS thing. Only My daughter was just um, one month old. See, you're thinking, oh my God, well, how am I going to support a family? So all those things come into your thinking. And a lot of it, maybe it would have been better if I announced it earlier. I don't know. But I knew at that time, I just said, it can't tell anyone because I got a family to raise. Right. And I mean, I can understand. And like I said, when I go through this book and I'm reading about how you're kind of sneaking back um, after everybody has left and scoping out the, you know, where everything is, so you know if you have to sit down, you can during a scene. It just seemed like the stress of having MS and then the stress on top of having to kind of covertly go back and maneuver your life around keeping a secret. I have a lot of respect for you, David. I don't know how you did it. I would have broke after 10 years, much less 15. Well, I, I think there are more people doing it now than than uh, I realized before because they may not be actors, but they have in other jobs. I've met so many people who lost their job once it was found out they had MS. Not that it would affect, you know, they still could do what the job entitled them, but everyone's so afraid of MS, you know, that they, oh no, is it contagious? Is it, we, we, we'd be bad, we'd not be able to walk. You know, you find out all the things about MS. What does the disease promise you? Well, you may not be able to walk. You may not be able to talk. You may Are you going to be able to get insured? I thought was a big one in the book, too. That amazed me. It's a big one. Insurance. Woohoo. Yeah, and I mean, it just shows you how messed up our healthcare system is in this country, that here you have this great, beloved actor, somebody who's put so much good into the world, and now they're behind the scenes and struggling and having the same issue as anybody else going through a similar situation, I mean, it's it just, I get upset when I think about the one, the stigma attached to any kind of illness, and Same two, way. the fact that the insurance companies, the insurance in this country is so messed up that that even was a concern. Oh, 
listen, one of the things about the Screen Actors Guild insurance, it's good insurance, but to qualify, you have to work a certain amount of time. You right. You have to earn a certain amount of money. So all that was going through my head, how am I going to earn that money to qualify? So it was thinking along, you're going so many different directions as to what you want to do for your career, what you want to do for your baby, and what you want to do for your family. And I guess a lot of people go through that in different ways, but that was uh, that was what I was going through then. I know, and you think of somebody who's been in the industry and somebody you see on your TV, I believe Laverne and Shirley came on Tuesday nights, so you see them every Tuesday night, and then you try to imagine hearing about this years later, and it, you know, I have a friend that's in a fairly famous band, and people think, because he has a video on MTV, he's living in a mansion and like partying with like hot women every day and all this stuff. But when he was making his albums, he was living at his mom's house selling guitars on eBay. Like, I don't think people understand that just because you see someone on TV, that they have a normal everyday life and everyday struggles they have to go through as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they still have to, you know, make a living. Yeah, and they don't see it that way. And and Fern, I said this on the show the other day with James. They just have this weird idea that you just live in this fantasy world if you're in the entertainment industry where you don't have any problems. You're immune from problems if you're in entertainment. Well, there's a lot of cool things that are afforded, you know, with with, uh, celebrity status, absolutely. But also there's a lot more pressure. And so if you think about your life and what you're going through and the struggles that you have, imagine that amplified 10 times because you're scrutinized in the public eye and everything you do and every move you make and every word you say is completely scrutinized and then publicized. So not only do, you know, the celebrities and the, you know, Hollywood in general have the same issues, but everything is held under a microscope, which I'm sure probably makes it 10 times more difficult. The, the, the thing that, that I first found was because I had MS, and especially in the early stages, I had developed a little bit of a, of a limp in my right leg, no other place. But, it, you know, I was sort of walking strangely or not too bad, but it was toddling. I, I got f- fired from a movie because they thought I was an alcoholic. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, I had MS and I didn't tell them. And I just figured, well, bite the bullet. Rather than say, oh, yeah, I'm no drunk, I have MS. That wouldn't have done me any good anyway. So, Yeah, I mean, a fascinating book, Fall Down Laughing. I really, really suggest all our listeners go out and buy it. I know it came out, I think it came out in 2010, but it's still a great read. And like I said, you really, really capture the day-by-day on this. I want to talk about Laverne and Shirley, but before we do that, as a goodwill ambassador to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, what can the average listener do to get involved? What can the average Joe listening to the show do to get involved with this? Well, there is an 800 number for MS. I don't know what it is right now, but it's pretty simple. And uh, you call them, they'll tell you, like, support groups or, you know, various um, programs they have. There are a lot of programs they have that's really great for people with MS. All righty, fair enough. Let's talk some Laverne and Shirley. Got to talk Laverne and Shirley or the fans would throttle me. Um, So here's what happens. I haven't seen Laverne and Shirley in many. Good. David? Yeah, well, I know I'm still with you. 
Oh, okay. All right, yeah, we got to talk some Laverne and Shirley here because I went back and watched. I hadn't watched it since I was a kid, since it's been out of syndication. And I went back and watched some episodes online. They only had on the CBS site one through three, seasons one through three. I remember when you guys moved to California, when they moved to Laverne and Shirley to California. I didn't remember that Cindy Williams, Shirley, was not in that last season, season eight. So let me start with this. Why did they move Laverne and Shirley's characters to California and then skip a few years and go to the mid-60s? I don't know. <laughs> I never knew what year we took place, except in the beginning credits, you see. We were at some sort of party and I'd say, welcome to 1962 or welcome to 1959 or whatever it was. So uh, we did things about the Kennedy-Nixon uh, debate, which I thought was pretty funny doing all that when both of them are so far gone. And our, a lot of our audience doesn't even know who they are. But we would be doing these these things because, we, because the years we were in. It was such a strange show. It was strange. And like I said, you guys moved to California, and then they kind of – you guys were in like the late 50s, early 60s in Milwaukee, and then all of a sudden you hit, I think it was season five or season oh, yeah. six, and you were in California in the mid-60s. Oh, sure. Summer of Love. Uh, yeah, the funny thing was that we did one of the, one of my favorite shows was, uh, Lenny and Squiggy go on the dating game. Well, Lenny and Squiggy went on the dating game and that was basically in this, this, where it takes place in the show was probably 1967. And I was on the dating game in real life in 1967. So, uh, and there was Jim Lang, the host of dating game playing the host of Dating Game on Laverne and Shirley and being the old host of Dating Game. So I said to him, I said, you know, I was on this show just about the time that the show we're doing takes place. And it's just so weird that I could conceivably run into myself. <laughs> <laughs> like back to the future. It's so bizarre. It's like you need a flow chart to keep track of this, right, Fern? Yeah. That is fucking truly, truly bizarre, Fern. Oh yeah, that's that's very cool. Very very cool. Like I can't imagine going on the dating game. I would be like, I don't know. I think I would scare people away. I'm pretty blunt and pretty open, and a lot of people have a hard time with that. So I would I would scare everybody. They would think that I would you know like have body parts in my freezer or something. Going back in the dating game, especially in the sixties, like <laughs> I don't think that would work out well for me. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't know too is that. Lenny and Squiggy, which was originally called Lenny and Anthony, actually existed before Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. It was two characters that Michael and I were both drama students at Carnegie uh, Mellon in in Pittsburgh. Uh, Carnegie Tech it was then. And uh, we just did these characters on the side, not as a school project or anything, just because we had fun doing them. And they were Lenny and Anthony, which changed their name to Lenny and Squiggy, and that was how it happened. But we did them nine years before the TV show, so we were spent oh, a lot man. of years. Did things change once it became Squiggy? Like, did the backstory in your mind change, or was it the same Squiggy with just, the, like, was it still Anthony with a different name, or did you kind of change the backstory in your head once he became Squiggy? Well, once he became, he became Squiggy because when it was Lenny and Anthony, Gary Marshall said... Why does he have to be Anthony? I said, well, his name is Anthony Squigliano. 
And he said, well, because uh, we have so many Italians on the show. And I said, do you got any Germans? And we were in, you know, Milwaukee. And she said, well, not enough. I said, okay, let's make Squiggy German. So Squig, Squigliano became Squigman, and and uh, Anthony Squigliano became Andy Squigman. And that was it. Uh, happened overnight. I got to tell you, one of my favorite bits on Laverne and Shirley, too, is Andrew Duke of Squidmont. Maybe you should have just stayed with Andrew Duke of Squidmont, because that was amazingly hilarious to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then they found out Lenny was a, uh, a, a Duke of Poland. I don't know. He had royal roots, I think. And that's what shows do after a while, too. I mean, we've had talks with different people who have been on long-running long shows, and it's just kind of they pivot and they revamp and they change. And like I said, I didn't realize Cindy Williams left the show in season seven, after season seven. How did that show go on without Shirley in Laverne and Shirley? It actually was called The Laverne Show. Was it? Oh, okay. And... We had one thing with Cindy, which Penny called her on the phone. Oh, God, it was so awful. <laughs> I mean, we were making excuses for why we were doing the show, I felt. And it had nothing to do with Laverne and Shirley. It was a strange contractual disagreement. And I just thought, what are we doing here? <laughs> Right, because you, so I kind of felt like reading this, and like I said, I couldn't find the later episodes online, but I was kind of like, why did this show go on with Cindy, without Cindy Williams? It had seven years. It's a legendary show. It had a great run. Why are they going in? It's like when Michael Scott, when Steve Carell left the office, why are they going on with the show if one half of the title of the show is is not even there anymore? Because one half of the show was suing the other half of the show. It was this long thing. They had to be still sure they're doing a show so they have something to sue. I don't know. I wasn't involved in any of those talks. By that time, I had a contract that was just, I just did 11 out of 22. So, so I got to go home. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, also, another thing I wanted to ask you, too, and we'll get out of here in just a second. Lenny and the Squigtones, did that exist before Laverne and Shirley, or was that a creation during Laverne and Shirley? Michael and I were fooling around one day, and I remember I said, I said, that's, it, that's them, it's Lenny and the Squigtones. And it was, what's that? And I said, that's the group they would have formed. And then we formed the group. We just and we had a deal with Casablanca, remember them? Casablanca Records, we did one album, and yeah, it kind of sold. But um, that was it. And we wrote a lot of songs. A lot of songs are still on YouTube. And people yeah, along with um, Credibility Act as well, is on YouTube as well, which was your original. And I had sent this over to Fern. Fern, I sent you Credibility Gap album. Yeah. Yeah, Credibility Gap was amazing. Um, and the one cool thing, first of all, I loved Dr. Von Stick. Like, I was just rolling through Dr. Von Stick. But I think this was in 1971, if I'm not mistaken. And I was listening, I was listening to the political undertone with some of it. I mean, it was, it was all hysterical, but I was, I was amazed at 
the fact that 47 years later, we are still having the pornography and marijuana debate. Like, this is something that was very prevalent then, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, this is still going on. This, it was just so relatable and amazing that it was still there. This was on AM radio, not FM. Yeah, FM had sort of begun to happen. But we were an AM radio, 50,000-watt station, and the program director kind of hated us. But uh, nonetheless, we got good numbers, and... Uh, so if you, how can I disperse, how can I spread this out so people can, you know, just listen to them without really finding them? We had originally uh, ten three-minute shows, which was switched to three ten-minute shows. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, Laverne and Shirley, I think it went off the air in 1983. How long did? Lenny and Squiggy, how long did Lenny and the Squig Tones, how long did you guys keep performing material after Laverne and Shirley, or did you guys just completely stop doing all of that after the show went off the air? Yeah, I mean, we it was, it was fun, and we've been on tour, but uh, I guess by the end of uh, well, by the end of the show, we were basically through with most Lenny and Squiggy stuff. All right, so let me hit you on this, too, real quick, because you're kind of going in and out on us. Lenny and Squiggy, I want to ask you a couple fictional questions here, okay? All right. Who would win in a fight, Lenny or Squiggy? Well, they met in a fight. That's how they became best friends. <laughs> and the fight was a long fight, and it ended in what's not officially known, but most people thought a tie. So the boys decided it would be easier if they just became friends. That is amazing. I, I love that. Um, who's smarter, Lenny or Squiggy? Well, God, everything ends in what is it? Squiggy is the dumb guy who thinks he's a genius, and Lenny is the other dumb guy who also thinks Squiggy's a genius. So basically, probably Lenny is smarter, but Squiggy has a bigger ego, and they never let him think he was smarter so wow that is a perfect answer okay who was better with the ladies lenny or squiggy well well they were pretty bad with them. i mean they were god there was <laughs> show i remember i was giving an extra who was sort of an overweight extra who played my girlfriend at the time and I, and we we had to fill a certain time we had to fill. We didn't have lines. And I gave her a bottle of beer, and I said, drink it, it'll be much easier. And I thought, hmm, I don't know if they let that go through, but they did. So. Okay, um, last one on this. Where would Lenny and Squiggy be today? What do you think ever became of them? Well, we did do a show, which was which took place 20 years later, I think. And Lenny and Squiggy ended up buying the apartment building that the girls live in. And they're terrible landlords. They're <laughs> and they have no sympathy for anything or anyone. And that's it. All right, let me um, hit on this last thing, and we'll get you out of here. Because I didn't know this. There was actually a Laverne and Shirley, like they went to... The, the military, the army or something cartoon. 
I know you have done a lot of voiceover work in your career, yet there was no Lenny and Squiggy on this Laverne and Shirley. Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams were on it, but they didn't have Lenny and Squiggy on it. Why didn't they have you guys on the Laverne and Shirley cartoon? Well, they wanted us, but we were. it was so strange. The show, you do the show uh, five days a week, or you shoot two days, but you, you know you do it on five. And then sort of spending the weekend doing a cartoon that you didn't think was very good, and you had no, no say in the writing or in any way, and I just, we just hated the idea. What they wanted to do with me and Squiggy, we said, no, let's, let's save the boys. We won't let them go that way. The girls, I don't know why they did it. They didn't need the money. Yeah, it only lasted a season, and then they had, like, a Lieutenant Squiggle, who was played by Ron Polio from Welcome Back Carter, Polio from Welcome Back Carter. And I was like, was that kind of a jab that they made the name similar? Well, I don't know if it was a jab. I think it was It was basically they knew they couldn't get the rights to Lenny and Squiggy, so they had the name similar, which would be, oh, I ate like Squiggy. Oh, okay. Well, um, I looked on your IMDb. You're working on uh, Sky Rat. Is that a voiceover work you're doing as well? Because that's the most recent thing I see on there. Oh, yeah, that's a voiceover. And what's really great is my daughter, Natalie Lander, is, um, among other things, she's starring in the Disney Junior production of Goldie and the Bear, in which she plays Goldie. So, oh, cool. Right on. That's awesome. Um, Fern, we got to get out of here. Is there anything you would like to close up with, Fern, to get David out here? Yeah, first of all, body of work, absolutely amazing, David. But I do want to let you know I'm fascinated with the voiceover thing. I have to tell you, I've got four children ranging in ages from 5 to 15. But I remember a few years ago, um, we would have Nickelodeon on, and the kids would watch their you know, their cartoons, and that was cool. And I remember walking through the room, and Oswald was on. And you voiced over Henry the Penguin on Oswald. And I remember that episode specifically because I love the nuances in cartoons sometimes that adults get that kids don't. And this particular episode was about Big Banana Day. And Oswald was walking around wanting to share his big banana. And I'm like, you know, if you're, if you're an adult listening to this, this could go very badly in another direction. But I heard your voice as Henry, and I was like... I know who that is. I, I love picking voices out of cartoons, but it was amazing to hear you. And I was like, this is fantastic. Um, I do want to know, though, with your, your live work and your film work and your voiceover work, do you find that you get any particular fulfillment more so in one genre than another? Or does each of it bring you a different sense of accomplishment depending on the platform? Well, it just depends, you know, how much freedom you have. And, and really, like, I did Roger Rabbit. I did that one, and that was a lot of fun. And I played a, a weasel with a machine gun. And that was great fun. And, you know, but it depends. Uh, just like the the cartoon of Vernon Shirley, I don't think would have been fun. Uh, but, um, you know, other things have been. So. All righty, David, you are a true legend, a true icon. And once again, fall down laughing. I love, love, love this book. It is so personable. It really brought me into your day-to-day. I want to thank you for calling in, and please tell everybody where they can find you online. Well, I don't know. (laughs) 
You can find me online if you look. Yep, um, you actually have davidlander.com. So Thank everybody you. should definitely go there and check it out. Thank you very much for calling in today, David. It was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty, D. Let's get ready to get out of here. Who do we have coming up? We're off next Sunday, but we'll be back in two Sundays with... With comedian Ember Knight. And she will talk about running a campaign that doesn't exist. Yep, for her new movie, The King of L.A. Yes. So you just have to stick around and see what that's all about. But for now... And Fern wants to give out the MS number. Oh, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know, um, if you do want to get involved with MS, if you want to help out, if you want to see what you can do, um, just give them a call. Um, they are at the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, but also you can call 1-800-344-4867. And you can just pitch in, help out, and help the cause. Nice. Sounds good. All righty, Dee, we ready to get out of here? Yes, we will be playing Enjoy some your Sunday, guys. classic Lenny and the Squig Tones, Night After Night. Three ladies and gentlemen, want you to sit down, relax, and dance to the rhythmic music of Lenny and the Squig Tones. I'm Lenny, and I'm the Squig Tones. And that's Max. <laughs> this song is called Night After Night, and it's about two nights in a row. That's <laughs> two Tell you in my palm. Darling. Night after night. <laughs> Sample all your tongs. Night after night, wow. Lately, I can tell. Wow. You're marching to her wedding bell. Yeah. I only wanna do what's right. But who wants to look at the same broad night after night? <laughs> night after night. I'll treat you like a queen Darling Night after night Cause you were 17 Night after night And your birthday rolled around Oh, you let me go to town Now I've lost my appetite Even true love can be boring Night after night Night after night We have nothing in common, girl, you know that's a fact. What a stupid I'll think of you and smile. Darling. Night after night, but only for a while. Night after night, wow. Then I'll find me someone new. Make me sleep on the sofa night after night. <laughs> night after.